Almighty God, today we have come to you through technology, and we are grateful that you have given us the treasure trove of knowledge of your creation so that minds that may or may not be dedicated to you have received your grace and presented us with opportunities like this. In the same way, Lord, we thank you for the medical professionals who are fighting so hard to find a solution to the health crisis that our world is facing. And we know that in the same way, you have revealed your treasure trove of creative knowledge to those who love you and serve you and to those who don't, because your grace is that magnificent and majestic. And so, Lord, together with them, your Holy Spirit can and will bring about an end to this crisis. We thank you, Lord, for all of the creative and, and uh, constructive energy that you have given to certain people in leadership roles, whether in their homes, in their churches, in their communities, even on the national level and the global level. We thank you that you are helping those who truly have a heart for humanity. Because again, Lord, they may not call you by name. They may not call upon Lord Jesus, our King, as their Savior and Lord. But, but they, they have a heart for humanity, which I think brings them closer to your heart. Like Nicodemus, they're not far from the kingdom of God. And so we pray, Lord, that you inspire and, and empower those whose hearts are for humanity to bring about comfort and healing and restoration and confidence and hope and joy, whether in small communities like Shiloh Church or larger communities like our Jasper and Dubois County community, our state of Indiana, our nation of the United States, our North American continent, our worldwide community. Please, Lord, help and empower the ones whose hearts are for your human beings that you've created, who love your created power and energy in the world. And Lord, we do pray for salvation for those who don't know you, who are apart from you because of sin and doubt about you. I cannot help but believe that people who care deeply about humanity and love humanity with no vanity in their hearts, that's the thing. If they are hurt, if they're helping others and serving others out of vanity, Lord, I doubt that they really care as much about humanity as they would make themselves appear to. They are rather doing good works in hopes of receiving praise and vain glory for themselves. So for the true heart of love for humanity and creation, we pray that their journey to your kingdom might be complete. Oh, Lord, we pray for those whom we have influence over, asking that we might be your witnesses by confidence and joy, peace and perseverance, by a witness of your word, that is the Logos that comes from your heart and mind to our hearts and minds. We pray, Lord, that our words and deeds, especially in this global environment, will be glorifying to you. We pray, Lord, for all the givers, and we pray for all the takers. These times reveal a lot about who the givers are and who the takers are. And we ask, Lord, for mercy and grace for the takers. 
and that through this experience they might be driven to their knees in humility and submission and to seek your lordship in their lives. And for the givers, Lord, we pray that their hearts might grow larger and their compassion grow deeper. Lord, I pray for each member of this church family, and especially those present with me in this moment, that they might be blessed by your word and your presence, that they might feel the Holy Spirit coursing through them, even as it courses through me and he courses through all of the others, so that while we are separated, we are not apart from you and each other, as we are your family, born again with the Holy Spirit coursing through our veins. I pray each one might have physical health and vitality. They might have a healthy and positive spirit, that they might have joy and confidence, that they might be more creative and more in love with the people they live with than ever. I pray for those who are harmed by storms last night and ask that whatever we can do to join them, you would cause us to do. I pray for those who are suffering in other ways that don't have anything to do with coronavirus, those who are physically ill or physically fighting disease and injury as they struggle to get the services they need under these difficult times. I pray, Lord, whose economic fortunes are at risk now because of the coronavirus. I pray that the stimulus package might truly stimulate. I pray, Lord, that that economies will remain strong as they retool during this war. I recall, Lord, as a student of history, how during the war uh, in the 1940s, all the industries retooled to fight the war. And they prospered. And then when the war was over, they went back to doing what they knew how to do. And I pray, Lord, that in the same way, during this global war against the disease, that we might be able to retool our entire economy and our industry, both physical and theoretical and, and uh, ethereal and, 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 you know, whatever you want to call it, Lord. We just, we just want to see how you turn this war into a way for us to carry on, this war against a virus and all of its impacts. Oh God, I pray with each one here for your will to be done, for your glory to be known to the world. And now together as one voice, wherever we are, we say the words Jesus taught us and we mean it when we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter 13 we're going to read verses 1 to 5 and then jump over to verses 13 to 17. So I hope you'll follow along in your Bibles with me right now. And uh, of course, if you're watching this on your computer, you could pull it up on Bible Gateway or one of those. But let us read now chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew 
that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put him, uh, had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And actually read one more verse than I meant to. So let's jump over to verse 13 now and see what Jesus says about what he just did. Do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are halfway through the seven questions that every Christian ought to need to ought to be able to answer. And today's question, like the one from last week, has a nuance to it, given the times that we're living through right now. We are uh, asking the question, what is fulfillment? Or more specifically, what gives you fulfillment? Uh, the dictionary describes fulfillment as the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted, and the meaning of a requirement or condition. So loosely translated, fulfillment means getting what you want. And since our question is framed with the Christian context in mind, then it means, what is it like when a Christian gets what a Christian wants? It's a tricky question. Now, when Jesus says, truly I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him, he is offering us a key understanding to what Christian fulfillment looks like. Because the real question that has to be asked when it comes to fulfillment is, who is your master? Because fulfillment has everything to do with what masters your life, what, what you are willing to serve or whom you are willing to serve to get what you want. I want you to imagine something for a minute. I want you to imagine your forehead having a mark on it that you can't see when you look in the mirror, but everybody around you can see it. And everyone who looks at you can see what your favorite sports team is because that's entirely your devotion, because everything in your house says I, you on it. So does your forehead. Imagine that your favorite place to shop is Target and you've got the Target bullseye on your head, but nobody, everybody can see it but you. Imagine that it's your favorite brand of car, so you've got the Chevy emblem on your forehead. 
Imagine that it's a little picture of you on your forehead. And I want you to think about that for a minute because the truth is, is those of us who know each other pretty well, because we work together every day or because we are in the same home together or same family or in the same clubs and associations, we kind of know more about each other than perhaps the person himself or herself knows. You know how it is when you're in a group of people and that one person walks up and they do that thing they always do and everybody is polite with them, but when they walk away, they all lean in and talk quietly about how, you know, I wonder if he realizes he's already told us that story 16 times or worse. And I'll leave it to you to imagine what I'm talking about. But you know, we do wear badges on our heads, brands, you might say, that show who our masters are. Sometimes it's more of a, of, of a statement of need. There's this message on our forehead that says, I don't feel very good about myself and I need your approval. And so there's a tattoo on your forehead that says, approve of me. Love me. I'm desperate. You think about it for a minute. Who is your master? What is your master? What can your master get for you that brings you fulfillment? See, the point of my strange exercise here is to cause you to do some deep reflection about the message that our lives project. Think about the message that your life projects. The things you seek for fulfillment are your message. And so I don't mean this in any way to be critical because I have my things. I have my hobbies and my habits. And there are people who could judge me severely for my devotion to those habits and hobbies. And some of those habits are probably not ideally suited to Christian living. And some of those hobbies may be a distraction from my service to the Lord because there's no such thing as a Puritan. There are people who strove to be Puritan and God bless them, they've contributed great things to the history of the Christian journey. But in the end, being a Puritan is a very difficult thing to do and it's why they don't last because humanity creeps in. So how do we balance the mastery of our Lord Jesus over our lives and the mastery that other things have over our lives, like our jobs and our health needs and those demands that are placed upon us by the people we love. But take it higher and ask yourself, does it give you fulfillment to help the people you love? Does it give you fulfillment to do your job? Does it give you fulfillment to maintain good health? If it does, that's a different question. But if it turns out that they're vain pursuits, if it turns out that the pursuit of wealth is in order that you might have more things, more authority over others, and more influence over others, does that fulfillment give you something that is compatible with what Jesus has taught us about Christian fulfillment? Because what did Jesus do to show us the meaning of Christian fulfillment? Think about that for a moment as I move through another discussion and then come back to that point. 
As I said, I wanted you to think about what you do for others and how it gets you what you want. Zig Ziglar is a famous inspirational speaker from the 20th century, and I've had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times and listening to him speak on audio recordings for hours and, uh, and in conferences and things. And, and uh, his signature statement was, you can have everything in the world that you want if you will help enough people get what they want. Now, he put it in the context of sales and marketing and so forth, but Zig was a Christian man. He was a Southern gentleman who loved the Lord. He was a Baptist. And Zig wasn't just saying that you can get everything you want by helping other people get what they want as a way to motivate you to sell more things. He was also saying that it really depends on what you want. And if you want to glorify Christ, if you want to honor Christ, if you want to live for your master, King Jesus, how do you get that by helping others get what they want? And sometimes what people want isn't what they need. Think about what you want and think about what you need. It's a fairly simple question. Think about how you can get what you want and need by helping others get what they want and need. I'll give you an example. Every time I get a paycheck from Shiloh United Methodist Church, I choose to see it as a certificate of appreciation for a job well done. In other words, if you're not complaining about how much you pay me, it's because you think I'm worth what you're paying me, which means that you are giving me a piece of paper that I can put in my bank account that says, congratulations on another two weeks of a job well done. And if that's what helping you get what you need and want gets me, then it helps me get what I need and want because that paycheck buys the food on my family's table, pays for the roof over my family's head, gives us the transportation that we need to be wherever we have to go. It gives us a few simple pleasures and some joy. But it came because I gave you something that you wanted. Do you see how that works now and why Zig wasn't just talking about material things? So Jesus told us that you were blessed if you know these things and if you do them. Do you know these things? Have you really thought about what Jesus wants you to know and how to apply it? Do you know that Jesus wants you to do these things because of what you know? And what you have to know is, is that the truth of the universe, the most fundamental truth of all is that without being in a personal relationship with your creator, everything about your life is vain. And so the most important truth of all is to be in a personal relationship with your creator as, as the creator intended it. See, that's how it all started. Remember? Remember that they were in the presence, Adam and Eve were in the presence of their creator and every day ended with a cool walk with Jesus, with the Lord God, I should say. I mean, it was Jesus in, in the spiritual sense, but, but they walked in the cool of the evening with their creator and that was natural and normal for them. And now we have no concept of that because they were cast out of the creator's presence because of sin and we are separated from the creator because of sin. Do you know these things? 
Do you know that everything you pursue in life that satisfies the flesh is to live within a personal relationship with the world? And yet, if we're in a personal relationship with our Creator, then the world is the place where we dwell temporarily while we pursue the presence of our Creator permanently for all eternity. And so we interact with the created world and our flesh and struggle against sin in our flesh as a result of our fallen nature, but we are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Do you know these things? Do you know that even during an unprecedented worldwide quarantining of all the non-essential people and all the non-essential activities, there is still a purpose and meaning to your life that doesn't have anything to do with satisfying the flesh. It has everything to do with that personal relationship with your Creator who wants it to be as it was intended to be. What will you do in the cool of this evening? Don't you wish you could go for a quiet walk and a long talk with the one who has the answers to every question and the truth about everything that is worth knowing? Blessed are you if you know these things, Jesus said. And knowing these things will result in doing things that are important. And the things you do that are important will bring you blessing in the eyes of God. And it will bless those around you. It's amazing as I watch all the universal challenges that people are, are undertaking during this, this time of, of coronavirus shutdown and, and self-quarantining. Everybody, everywhere, has to ask the same basic question and work out an answer if they're going to get through this. And the question is, how can I keep doing what matters most to the places that I'm responsible for, the places and the things that I'm responsible for. The local restaurant has to figure out how to keep doing business, serving its customers and taking care of its staff and employees. And that's what they've been doing. The local businesses have to figure out how to keep serving their customers and doing the business they do so they can keep taking care of their employees and keep the economy for their employees going and their customers' economies going. Pastors like me have to figure out how to keep doing church even though they can't meet in the building. Each one of us has a system, even if it's just our family, just, hardly seems appropriate to say just, but if all we're taking care of is our house and our family and our pets, we're having to work out how to do that under these unusual circumstances, under these unprecedented, unheard of circumstances. And so everybody's having to ask the same question, what matters most and how do I do it? If you know these things, and then you do these things. Everybody's asking that question, but the Christian asks the question, Jesus, what do you want me to know and do so that I can be blessed? Because what could be greater than Jesus' blessing? Each of us plays a role in a community, even if it's a community of two. Or one, even if you're alone, you're asking ourselves this question, how do I deal with my loneliness during these unprecedented times? And that person has to ask and answer the question in order to survive and thrive. 
It's funny because I think this is going to be one of the most transformational times in human history. Perhaps the most transformational time. Only God the Creator could put together a scenario like this one. Now, I'm not suggesting that this virus is the result of God, but the fact that God hasn't intervened in a particular way gives us pause to think about what God might be ex expecting to happen as a result of this. And one of the things that this situation has done is it's caused everybody in the Western world, in the known world, in the, in the places where the virus exists at least, they've been forced to ask themselves the simple questions that I just mentioned. And they've been forced to think about what matters most to them. And honestly, when this is all over, we're going to remember the brand that was on people's foreheads. We're going to remember who the givers were and who the takers were. Because there are givers who are caring deeply about humanity from a, a, a godlike sense in their heart. And there are takers who are just trying to figure out how they can leverage this to their own advantage. And there may be middle ground, but my, think, my thinking at times like this is, is that it's a lot more vague than usual. And I believe when it's over, we'll all remember, whether in our home, our neighborhood, our church, our community, our national community, our global community, we're all going to remember who the givers were and who the takers were. And it doesn't sound like a threat to me when I say that because it's not a threat. It's just a reality that I anticipate as a result of this experience. Because when it's all over and life goes back to normal, we're going to have different feelings about some of the people in our world and in our communities, even in our own households. You know, you've seen the funny things on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and places like that where they'll say when the coronavirus is over, Will you be 40 pounds heavier? Will you be an alcoholic? Will you be divorced? You know, it's kind of funny, but it's also sad because it's true. Some people are really, really serving their masters and their masters are gonna own this. They're gonna own them when this is over. The masters are gonna own them when this is over. Who is your master? Our master sees how this is bringing out the best and the worst in us. And what do you want him to see so that you can receive his blessing? Here's what he wants you to see. He wants you to see that while he had all authority over everything, he had the authority to tell the storms like last night's raging storms to stop. And they did with the word of his mouth. He had the authority to raise the dead, to raise himself from the dead by his own will. He has the authority to speak to all of creation and it will obey him. And he said that to his friends right before he took off his outer garment, stripped down to basically his underwear and washed the filth from their feet. And they said, you're not worthy of that and we're not worthy of this because he was too good for the thing and they were too bad for the thing. But this is what the king of all creation did. He stripped to his outer garment, stripped off his outer garment, stripped to his underwear, and he washed the filth from their feet. And I want you to think about a minute of people who walked in sandals or barefoot in a land filled with all sorts of animals used for every kind of purpose and go on and think it through if you want to. Washing the filth from a person's feet was a lowly task. 
What they didn't know was that later, just within about 24 hours or so, he would be stripped to his underwear or probably naked and nailed to a cross in order to wash the filth from our souls. All the filth of our souls. He would take it and it would be washed from us. The king of all creation would take up the cross to wash the filth from your soul. This is what matters most. What matters most is to follow our king wherever he leads us. And what he wants us to do is to serve one another in the same spirit in which he has served us. To be willing to waller in the filth with the neighbor, a loved one, a stranger, a person in our community that we've been called alongside, online, in the mail, anywhere, anyway, over the phone, to make sacrificial suffering part of serving our Lord. And most sacrifices that we'll be asked to make are not that bad. We'll be asked to endure a phone call that might last longer than we care for. We might be asked to answer the same question 40 times. We might be asked to wash filth that smells and stinks from someone's feet and then have to go and clean ourselves afterwards. But what difference does it make if we suffer a little and gain the kingdom of Christ because we were willing to be blessed by our master. And this was the symbol on our forehead, the symbol of Christ, my king, who is my master. You probably have picked up on the theme of this series and in, in the messages that I gave prior to suspension of normal activities at the church. There was a theme that I kept coming back to over and over again at the end of each message. And then as I've been writing and communicating with you since the shutdown of the church, I've been repeating this theme over and over again. When Jesus was asked what the most important rule of all is, he said, quoting Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And ever since this COVID-19 quarantine thing started, I've told you almost every time I've communicated with you, remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let the Shema be major in this sign on your forehead. Let it be the thing people see. Your love for the Lord your God and the love you have for your neighbor. And may God richly bless you. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts that we might be your instruments of grace and mercy in the world. That we might take the word and let it glow from our being so that you will be glorified in us. Please help us, Lord, to honor you in our words and our deeds and to suppress the needs of our flesh that prevent us from putting you first in our lives. And this we pray together in the name of our King, Lord Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.